I'd been meaning to put up our interviews and all these other special talks uh, about catch wrestling up on some sort of uh, podcast platform, and I'd actually been looking around, and um, now I think Anchor.fm is uh, probably one of the best bets for you. Uh, you the inter- user interface has actually gotten much better. Um, it's free. They also have all these different tools, that, which I think work much better than they used to, uh, to edit and everything, so you can uh, put up a nice podcast, which we'll get more into later, so hopefully everything gets smoother later on. Um, also, they distribute your podcast for you, so it shows up on Spotify, Apple, uh, Google Podcasts, everything like that, and you can also get sponsorships. So uh, go ahead and check it out. You're about to listen to Mike Chapman. He's one of the leading wrestling historians of all time. He actually helped start the Dan Gable Wrestling Museum in Waterloo, Iowa. Um, He is big time in wrestling, and um, he knows a lot. And this is a great uh, presentation that he gave. He and I drove from uh, his home in Iowa all the way to Dodge, Nebraska, the home of Joe Stecker. Um, who was, if you don't know who he was, he was one of the world champion catch wrestlers from back in the early days. And um, so this was a really um, wonderful event that uh, we were invited to. So we went all the way to Dodge, Joe Stecker's home, and uh, Mike brought all of his memorabilia, um, and uh, including Joe Stecker's shoes, and um, gave a presentation for the people of Dodge uh, about their hero, really. So, hope you enjoy. I'm going to let Mike have the floor. We appreciate him coming from Iowa, uh, bringing the new review for all of us to be able to look at and take a gander at. His buddy Raul coming in from LA, uh, another wrestler. So it's kind of fun to see something. So please enjoy it. Uh, thanks, Michael. And I first found out about Michael. I looked on the Dodge website about a year ago and found out that he came here and started this restaurant and working with his mother. And I've been to Dodge 20 years ago uh, to buy some Stecker memorabilia, and I'll talk about that in a minute. And my wife, we live in Newton, and she likes to go to Omaha to shop. And I said, what do you say we drive over to Dodge? And I came here and went to the restaurant and was just so impressed with what he's done here. And as I was getting ready to leave, I said to him, you have such neat stuff on the wall, but nothing on Joe Stecker. And he says, well, we don't really have a lot of Joe Stecker stuff. And I said, aha, I'm your guy. And I brought some stuff in from the car and showed it to him and shared it with him. And Michael was very, very interested. And I said, you know, we need to keep alive the history of the important cultural people in our society. Not, I didn't say wrestling. I didn't say sports. I said culture. Wrestling is called mankind's oldest sport. It goes back 6,000 years. The oldest piece of literature known to exist is the Epic of Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh was a warrior king in ancient Sumer. Today we call Sumer Iraq. And one of the main stories in the Epic of Gilgamesh is a wrestling match between Gilgamesh and Enkidu. So the oldest piece of literature in the world talks about wrestling. 
And I tell people when I give wrestling talks all over the country, don't forget, when God sent down the angel to confront Jacob, he didn't send him down to play golf, basketball, or soccer. He sent him down to wrestle. Jacob wrestled the angel of the Lord in Genesis. And my background is I competed in wrestling, judo, and sambo. Sambo is submission wrestling where you can use joint lock submissions. And it's a real exciting style of wrestling. So I was a newspaper man for 35 years. That's how I earned my living. But on the side, I started a freelance career and I started writing about wrestling. One of my best friends was Dan Gable, considered the greatest amateur wrestler in American history. He went seven years without losing. He won 181 matches in a row, went through the 1972 Olympics without surrendering a, a point, and then became the head coach at the University of Iowa. So I started writing freelance articles about Dan Gable and I can remember when I was a young boy growing up in Waterloo, Iowa, my grandpa was a retired railroad man, and his two heroes were Frank Gotch and Joe Stecker. So I'm a young kid in Waterloo, Iowa, and I'm hearing about Joe Stecker from Dodge, Nebraska. So I decided I wanted to do more uh, research and inquiring into Frank Gotch. I wrote a novel about him called Gotch, an American Hero. It's been optioned by a major motion picture company called Empire Film Group. And I decided I needed to know more about Joe Stecker. So I came over here. How many of you know the Blankenau building right down the street? Arlene's here. Is Arlene still here? So somebody's telling me, they hear me give a speech. And they say, you know, you're a big Joe Stecker fan. Have you ever been to Dodge? And I said, no. And they said, he used to train there above this Ford dealership, and his wall pulleys are there, and his punching bag and some other stuff. I says, get out of here. And he says, no. So I get in the car, and I drive five hours, and I don't tell Bob I'm coming. And it's like 90 degrees, and Bob's sitting there when I walk in, you know, and I said, hey, I want to see your Joe Stecker stuff. Bob wasn't real enthusiastic. <laughs> I mean, he didn't know who I was, and what did I want to see Joe Stecker stuff for? Well, to cut through the story, I ended up, I wore him out. I told Arlene it was 90 degrees and I wouldn't quit talking. And I said, can I go up and see the stuff? And he finally let me go up. And there on the wall are the wall pulleys and the punching bag and a little box that says Joe Stecker Shoes. So I tried to buy the stuff from him. I was a tough negotiator. And I ended up buying it from him. And he and I took the wall pulleys off the wall we took them to Newton, and they've been in the museum, the International Wrestling Institute Museum in Newton, Iowa, for 10 years, and then we moved it to Waterloo, Iowa, the hometown of Dan Gable, a much bigger town, 10 years ago, and then I retired five years later. So Joe Stecker's wall pulleys and punching bag and some other items, along with Frank Gotch items, are on display in Waterloo, Iowa. So I've always had this great affection for Joe Stecker and what he means athletically, wrestling, and culturally. Now, I don't know how far some of you came. I know Joe Stecker came a long way, but none of you can beat how far my friend, Dr. Raul Ramirez came. Yesterday morning, he was in Los Angeles. Today, he's in Dodge, Nebraska. Now, Sam knows this, Sam Stecker and some other people, that the style of wrestling back then was catch as catch can. You grab hold of somebody and you catch whatever move you can. We now call it catch wrestling, 
Raul is wearing a shirt that says, Catch Wrestling Alliance, Keep Real Wrestling Alive. Raul knows as much about the style of Joe Stecker and Frank Gotts as anybody I've ever met. He went to Wigan, England, where Catch Wrestling began in the 1880s on hard cement floors with these coal miners that worked the coal mines and came out. And he had gone to Wigan and won two tournaments over there. And his star pupil right now is in a huge tournament in New Jersey. Curran Jacobs, who was a captain of the Michigan State team, one of my dear friends, uh, Curran's going to be a movie star, you wait and see. Really good looking, just got his master's degree in teaching, but he's in a big tournament right now in New Jersey, so we're kind of nervous about that. We think he's going to win it. But what I want to talk to you about is the impact Joe Stecker from Dodge, Nebraska had on the world of wrestling. I've already told you the impact he had on me. I've written 29 books. I've got two screenplays in Hollywood. I'm a member of 10 Halls of Fame. I'm bragging. But Joe Stecker's a huge part of that. He and Frank Gotch and Earl Caddock are my three heroes. Earl Caddock served in World War I. He was a doughboy on the Western Front, trench warfare. His two greatest matches are with Joe Stecker, I'm gonna tell you about him in a minute, and you're gonna see a clip of it. It's the oldest wrestling match known to exist on film, and Joe, or Earl Caddock's sons gave it to me, the best version of it possible. And I'm going to narrate a little bit of it. So Joe Stecker grows up right here in Dodge, and he sees what Frank Gotch in Humboldt, Iowa, is doing to the wrestling world. Frank Gotch wins the world title in 1908 in Chicago in front of 10,000 people. The town of Humboldt goes crazy. Bonfire goes off. Fire engine goes around the square. Gotch is handsome, articulate charming, the media loves him. There's no baseball to speak of, there's no football. The two biggest sports heroes in America are bare knuckle boxers and wrestlers. The bare knuckle, or the boxing champion then, wasn't bare knuckle, was Jim Jeffries. And he had a very low key personality. Gotch, the media loved Gotch. Teddy Roosevelt invited him to the White House twice and became a star of a play that went down the East Coast. Gotch made, in his second match with Hackenschmidt, 31,000 people showed up in 1911 to see Gotch wrestle. Joe Stecker sitting there, seeing all this transpire. Joe, as you know, is a family of eight kids. He had two older brothers, Lewis, Lewis who wrestled at the uh, uh, Naval Academy and was very good, and Anton, Tony. But Joe was the best of them all. So Joe starts wrestling, and he becomes a big star locally. Well, Gotts retires in 1915, and the champion of the world is Charlie Cutler, a really tough guy from Chicago. And he's touring around the Midwest, taking on local champions. Easy money. He's the champion of the world. He ends up wrestling Joe Stecker in Omaha in front of like 12,000 fans. Joe Stecker demolishes him. Pins him twice in like 35 minutes. Cutler comes away and says, I don't know who this kid is, but he's the best I've seen since Gotch. I've never seen anybody this good. You know, Dodge went crazy that night. They had a big celebration. A few months later, they have Joe Stecker Day. 5,000 people show up. The governor comes and presents him with this legendary belt. This young man over here has an incredible picture of Joe holding up the, the belt. I've never seen it before. I have a lot of Joe Stecker stuff. Joe Stecker, yeah, I'm getting goosebumps just looking yeah. at it. Joe Stecker becomes the toast of America. Listen, I've done my research. I was a sports editor for 25 years and a managing editor and executive. 
I maintain that the three best known athletes in America in 1920 were Babe Ruth, Jack Dempsey, and Joe Stecker. Doc's Nebraska. Joe lost his title to Earl Caddock in an incredible match in Omaha in 1917. Earl had never lost as an amateur, was a three-time national champion, turned pro at the urging of Frank Gotch. They wrestled in Omaha. The first fall, Stecker's 60-0 at the time, and Earl is 53-0 as, as an amateur and 37-0 as a pro. So neither one of them had ever lost. The first, the first fall takes an hour and 22 minutes. Joe wins. First time Earl ever been beaten. They come back, Earl wins the second fall in an hour and 40 minutes. They've now wrestled for three hours. Now let me tell you, you say, how can anybody wrestle for three hours? It's, you watch a boxing match. John L. Sullivan once fought 75 rounds. I mean, they were standing around, this kind of stuff, catching your breath, shooting, wrestling in it, and a lot of mat work which I'm gonna tell you, destroyed professional wrestling. Earl wins the second fall, so they're tied one, one and one. Joe's too exhausted, he can't come out for the third fall. It's his first loss ever, and Earl Cattle becomes the heavyweight champion of the world from Walnut, Iowa. Right here, I have this beautiful poster talking the stecker Cattock contest, Nebraska versus Iowa for athletic supremacy, Omaha Auditorium, prices, a dollar all the way up to five dollars. <laughs> so Caddock, Joe wants a rematch right away, but something ugly by the name of World War One inter intervenes. Earl goes overseas, fights on the Western Front. Joe serves in the Navy. The war ends and they have a rematch in January 30th, 1920 in New York City. The legendary Madison Square Garden. 14,000 people. It sells out immediately. I have a clip here from the major New York newspaper, Caddock and Stecker to wrestle for World's Championship, front page, sports section. Dodge, Nebraska kid is making big news in New York City and all over the United States. It's a one fall, they agree, they wrestled a one fall. The match lasts two hours and three minutes. Joe wins, becomes the heavyweight champion of the world once again. The match is incredible. I have like 12 minutes of it that I'm going to show you in a minute, and I'll narrate it so you know what's going on. It's on YouTube, but it's a really bad copy, and there's no narration. I've showed it to six Olympic champions, including John Smith from Oklahoma State, two-time Olympic champ, my friend Dan Gable, all kinds of, and they sit there and they watch it, and they said, this is unbelievable. I can't believe this is what pro wrestling was once like. But that match, change pro wrestling forever. I'm getting goosebumps. Wrestling became theatrical. The promoters knew they couldn't have two and three hour matches. This was the Roaring Twenties, the era of the Flapper, Prohibition, Al Capone, Jack Dempsey was knocking his, a lot of his foes out in the first round. They juiced up baseball so Babe Ruth could take the home run record from 20 to 48 to 56 to 60. They wanted excitement, and people weren't excited about seeing. Now, the way to really win, Raul can tell you this, being a catch wrestling expert, is to take the other guy down and work on him to get a joint lock submission. Well, the other guy knows what you're working on, and he's pretty good at defending. So a lot of wrestling would take an hour and a half. 
Raul gets me down, he's going to spend an hour and 20 minutes wearing me out to get that joint lock submission on me if I'm any good at what I'm doing. And fans weren't going to stand for that. So wrestling changed. And it became theatrical. They put in time limits. Then you saw drop kicks and punching and hitting and kicking. Here's the kind of men that Earl Caddock and Joe Stecker were. So they sell out Madison Square Garden, January 30th, 1920. The next day they meet in the promoter's office to get their paychecks, huge paychecks. I think Joe got 20,000 for that match. And the average working salary in America was 2,200. And Earl got like 23,000 because he was the champion. So the promoter says to them, hey guys, you just sold out the biggest arena in America for wrestling. We're going to go all the way across America, Joe Stecker versus Earl Caddock. We'll sell out Chicago, Indianapolis, Des Moines, Omaha, Seattle, Kansas City. Joe, you'll win the first match. Earl, you'll win the second one. The third one will be a draw. You'll do this. We're going to work the matches. Now, I'm sharing something with you that Earl Caddock sons told me standing in front of his gravesite in Walden, Iowa, 20 years ago. Joe and Earl don't say a word. They walk out of the promoter's office and they're walking down a street in New York City. These two great Midwestern wrestlers. And Earl looks at Joe and says, Joe, I can't do that. I can't wrestle fake matches, set up matches. That's not who I am. I don't care how much money we can make. I can't do it. Joe Stecker stops and looks at him and he says, Earl, neither can I. They shake hands. Earl Caddock and Joe Stecker could have sold out every wrestling arena in America and they wouldn't do it. Because they wouldn't cheat the fans, they wouldn't cheat themselves, and they wouldn't cheat the sport of wrestling. Earl wrestled about two more years and then retired and became a very successful businessman in Omaha. Died at the age of 62 of cancer. Raul and I were at his gravesite yesterday in Walden. Joe entered into the era predetermined matches. He didn't want to, but he didn't have much choice. He lost a lot of money in the stock market crash and a few other setbacks. He retired for a while and then he came back and that was a new era. Prearranged matches were the keys, but there was still something called a shoot. Suppose I'm the big star and Raul knows he can beat me and he comes to Des Moines and he said, I'm tired of letting Mike Chapman beat me, even for a payday, we're gonna shoot. And that means we get in the ring and we shake hands and he looks at me and swings and says, hey pal, tonight we wrestle. That means I'm probably gonna lose. And then the promoters wouldn't use him again because he killed off the champion who was the big attraction. So Joe Stecker had to play by the rules if he wanted the big payday. Enter Ed Strangler Lewis. One of the toughest wrestlers who ever lived. Shorter than Joe, younger than Joe. He was very stout and he was a defensive wrestler. And they had some shoots, which was real matches because there were still some of them around. They wrestled in Omaha in 1921, five hours and three minutes. 6,000 fans showed up to watch. At the end of the five hours and 10 minutes, there were like 300 fans left. Three referees had passed out. 
And when the match was over, Ed Stringer Lewis had gotten Joe in a headlock for the last 30 minutes and wouldn't let go. They, the referee finally called it a draw. When Joe stood up, he was bleeding out of both ears. He went to the hospital for three days. Ed Strangler Lewis had developed something called the headlock machine. This is it. This is Ed Strangler Lewis's original headlock machine. And he would squeeze that to increase his, his squeezing power. He said, till the day he died, Joe Stecker was the greatest man he ever wrestled. Joe Stecker said, till the day he died, the greatest man he ever wrestled were two. Earl Caddock and Ed Strangler Lewis. Joe ended up going, his, his brother Tony was a legendary promoter up in Minneapolis, and Joe ended up being put into a veteran's home. They called it a nervous breakdown back then. God only knows what it really was. But he, was, he did suffer from depression, we know that. And Joe lived the last 36 years of his life in an assisted living home in St. Paul. I know for a fact that twice he had a visitor and they went out on the back porch and played checkers together and talked about the good old days. That visitor was Earl Caddock. So you see the camaraderie that wrestling built between these two great warriors and Earl Caddock's from a town of 600 people. I talked them in about eight years ago um, to the mayor and talked to them to let me write his biography. They sponsored it. And I went over there and gave a speech about Earl Caddock when the book came out. And I said to him, you need to name something hereafter. They named a street Earl Caddock Memorial Drive. Raul and I wrote, drove down it yesterday. Earl Caddock Memorial Drive. I hope Dodge will do something like that. Joe Stecker Memorial Drive or Joe Stecker Ballpark. I see you have some baseball fields here, something like that. Why? Just because he was world heavyweight champion? No because he's a cultural icon that represents a golden era of American history. He came from a farm in Dodge, Nebraska to be one of the best known athletes in the world in the 1920s. I have a picture of him here when he's wrestling in LA. You young people won't know what I'm talking about. Charlie Chaplin knew he was coming and wanted to be in the picture with him. Charlie Chaplin was as big a movie actor as there was all through the 1920s in Hollywood. And he wanted to be in a picture with Joe Stecker from Dodge Nebraska. So you think about the legacy of this great man. And yes, it was a sad ending to the end of his life. But he deserves to be honored, recognized. I told Michael, I get $500 to $1,000 for speeches all over Iowa. I came here for free, and Raul came here for free. We did get a free meal. <laughs> because we wanted to have this opportunity to share with you how special Joe Stecker really was. Now, I'm not here to sell products, but I do have some stuff for sale. If you're interested, I've got some books and things like that for sale. But come up and look at it. But right now, and. If you're going to squeeze Joe Steck or Ed Stranger Lewis's headlock machine, you have to promise me you won't break it. <laughs> I take it all around, and amateur wrestlers try to squeeze it, and nobody can. And uh, about three years ago, a guy weighed 400 pounds said, can I stand on it? And I said, sure, and he couldn't budge it. So there was a lot of power that went into this baby. And uh, once again, Ed Lewis said, I respected Joe Stecker more than any man I ever wrestled. And Ed Lewis wrestled 6,000 matches. 
So I, I contend, I've studied, I, some people say I'm wrestling's number one historian. I hope I am. I've spent a lot of time. I rank the five greatest professional wrestlers of all time this way. Frank Gotch, number one. Joe Stecker, number two. Earl Caddock, number three. Ed Stringer Lewis, number four. And a personal dear friend of mine, Lou Fez, number five. I think Stecker and Caddock are two of the greatest wrestlers who ever lived. And they had this connection, not only from small towns in the Midwest, but they served their country valiantly in World War I. The two of them stood up to fake wrestling and wouldn't do it. They told a New York promoter to go take a hike. And they really respected one another because Earl Caddock drove from Walnut, Iowa to play checkers with Joe Stecker on the back porch. How cool is that?